This morning my message is titled, The Chief Cornerstone. Who, my friends, is the chief cornerstone? I didn't hear you. Jesus. All right. You're a lot, you're okay. I just seen if you was awake out there. I heard Jesus. A little whisper. Jesus, the chief cornerstone. He is the chief cornerstone of the church. Amen. You know, before I begin this morning, we were talking Wednesday night at Bible study, and we were talking about prayer, and Gary was talking about how he'd call on people to pray. And so, you know, it's such an honor and such a privilege to pray that we can communicate with our Heavenly Father, and we're all blessed and privileged to be able to do that. So this morning, I'm going to call on you, church, with someone like the volunteer to pray before we begin our service today. Thank you very much. We're returning to Luke chapter 20. We are making our way through Luke. I know I'm not covering each chapter verse by verse, but at least a portion of each chapter. So we're soon becoming to the crucifixion and resurrection. Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Now it happened on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, that the chief priest... And the scribes, together with the elders, confronted him, and spoke to him, saying, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave, who is he who gave you this authority? But he answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, so, I'm going to pause for a moment. They reasoned among themselves. You know, I'm going to use a, a, a visual analogy here. I'm going to use a football analogy, Brian. Whenever the football teams are out on the field, the offense, before they begin their play, they go back and they get in a huddle, right? They get in this huddle and they talk about what the next play is going to be, what they think the defense is going to be, how they're going to be set up. So, they plan their next play. So, they reasoned among themselves. So the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, I envision them going off into a little huddle, and they're discussing how they're going to respond. So they say, if we say from heaven, this is what they're talking about in their little huddle now, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us. For they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they're worried about their own skin, right? We're going to get stoned if we say it was from men. Because they thought he was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. Should have another visual there, right? Here are the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. The ones the people are to look to. And they say, well, we don't know. We don't know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Then he began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time he sent a servant to the vine dressers 
that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him, sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent another servant. They beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also, and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. Then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people, for they knew that he spoke this parable against them. So they were wise enough to know exactly whom that parable was spoken against. So a parable begins with the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and they're questioning Jesus' authority. You know, in life, we all know what authority is. We know some of us may even have some authority. We may have a little bit of authority. We may have much authority. I don't know. But we know what authority is. You know, in the workplace, most of us, most of us would have authority over us. You know, I think even the, the head man at a place like I work, the shop, the locomotive shop, he too, though he is the main authority there, he has authority over him. And then that person has authority over him. So, but they're, com they're, they're, they're struggling with this thing about authority because they're fearful they're going to lose some of their authority. That's right. And their money. Well, don't, don't get ahead of me now. They're, <laughs> they're afraid they're going to lose some of their profits, some of their authority. So they're questioning it. You know, where did you get this authority? Why, what, by what authority are you doing these things? That's what they're questioning. So we have to look prior to that, which is in chapter 19, which I didn't use this part last week, so I can use it today, right? Luke 19, verses 45 through 48. And here's why they're, the main reason they are questioning him. It says, He went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it. So they set up their tables in the temple. They were exchanging money. They were selling uh, the animals for the sacrifices. So they were making a hefty profit. Saying to them, it is written that my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders, which again are the elders of the people, sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything again, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. So again, they saw their prophets going away, because there he is, he's turning over the tables and getting rid of the money changers, because God's house, my friends, is to be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. So they're questioning, why are you doing this? Who give you authority to do this? But let's look at this group, the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees. 
the chief priest claims that their authority came from Moses. The chief priests, we know, would serve in the temple. They would offer the sacrifices that the people would bring. They would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But they, they are the ones that were set apart for the service at the temple. They were the ones that the people were to go to, you know, uh, for leadership. Whenever a leper would go in, they would have to show themselves to the chief priests to be declared clean or unclean. So the people looked to them and should have respected them, but they should have been earning the people's respect, right? right. The chief priest was to be a direct descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother. So, you know, they did have authority, and they say that their authority came from Moses. Who were the scribes? Well, a scribe basically was a lawyer. You know, when you have laws that are very extensive, you need someone to study them laws, to interpret them and try to figure out what do they, what do they mean. Have you ever read something written by a lawyer? Yeah, I have. You need an interpreter to be able to understand it. Well, the law was very extent. It was very complicated. So they needed someone to study this law. And that was their duty, to interpret the law. They would spend much of their lifetime doing nothing but studying that law, studying that law, trying to figure out what it means. You know, when you have sin... You need law, right? When you have sin, you need law. When you have sin in a nation, you need laws to protect against that sin. Right. You know, there was a time when there was only one law. One law. Do not eat of that tree. Mm -hmm. That one tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only law they had. But it, we all know that he messed up, right? They messed up. But in this day, in Jesus' day, the law was very, again, complex, very huge, if you will. So the scribes were the ones that studied that law. There, were a time, there was, not were, there was a time when the priests would also interpret the law. But as the law became more extent, they came up with scribes or lawyers to be able to interpret it. So they spent all their time doing that and the priests could do their other duties. The elders. The elders were those who, let's say, by virtue of age and experience, seemed best fit to govern. Because, as you've heard the old adage, the old, with age comes wisdom, right? Well, that's the way we hope, <laughs> as we hope, as some say, we hope with age come, comes wisdom. So the elders were those who were of an older age, but yet have lived a life that showed that they were worthy to be called an elder, that they lived a life that was faithful, trustworthy. In the Old Testament, elders would serve even as magistrates. They would bring murderers to trial. They would punish disobedient sons or infect, inflict penalties for you know, disobeying the law. So they too was also like judges in, that, in the Old Testament. So all three in this group had a level of authority. And they had a responsibility. They had a responsibility to guide God's people. So Jesus asked them, 
those that were to guide the people, where did John's baptism come from? They're unable to tell. They're unable to answer that. You know, they're supposed to help people draw closer to God, but yet they're taking advantage of people. They're cheating people, defrauding people out of their money. Jesus takes offense with that. Overturns the tables. Jesus had them backed into a corner, didn't He? They could not answer. They refused to answer the questions. So He goes on to tell them a parable. And that parable is to reveal how truly far they have went off the path that they were supposed to be on. How far they've went off the road. He reveals their wickedness. Tells them the parable of the vineyard and the vine dressers. We know that the vine dressers are the scribes, the elders, and the Pharisees. They're the ones, what does a vine dresser do? Takes care of the vineyard, prunes the trees, harvests the grapes. The vine, the vineyard, is Israel. It is the nation of Israel. The vine dressers are supposed to be caring for them, but they are not. We know that they are, Israel is the vine. In Psalms 80, 7-9, it says, Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. So that Israel is the vine that came out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root and fill, and fill the land. So God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt and planted them in the land of Canaan, the land of plenty, the, the land that was flowing with milk and honey. And established Israel as the nation that not only were they supposed to draw closer to God, but reveal God to the nations around them. Amen? So they knew that they were the vine dressers. They knew that. And this was, my friends, a prophetic message of about, about what they were about to do. Because what did He say? When He sent His beloved Son, they thought, Ah, oh, this is the Son. We'll kill Him and we'll receive the inheritance. So that's what they thought. We'll kill Him. We'll receive the inheritance. A prophetic message that they were soon to crucify the beloved Son. Verse 17 said, Then He looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. There's a couple passages in the Old Testament that speak directly to the deceitfulness and their unbelieving ways. Isaiah 28, 14-16 says, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. Is that not speaking directly to what Jesus is encountering right there today in Luke chapter 20? You scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with show we are in agreement. With the overflowing scourge, or when the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. Therefore, thus says the Lord God Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Jesus Christ is that stone, that Zion stone. He is that sure, 
tried foundation, that solid foundation. Psalms 118.22 also says, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. My friends, in biblical times, the cornerstone is the most important stone when you go to build a structure. The cornerstone is the, is the one they begin with. They begin with the cornerstone and they set it in place and that cornerstone has to be perfect. It has to be true. It has to be square. It has to be a perfect stone because if that stone is not perfect, then the rest of the structure will not be perfect. It will not stand. It will not be true. The rest of the structure will be crooked, if you will. It will be uneven. It will, it will not be a sound and solid structure if the cornerstone is not perfect. I want to get back to that in a little in a bit. 1 Peter 2, 4-8 says, Coming to Him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, coming to Him, meaning coming to Christ, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. My friends, you are the stones, the church being built up. You are that spiritual house acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, my friends, so receive this, you who believe, he is precious. But to, to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone, has become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. I found an interesting story. It's called the precious stone that no one saw. Now, whether this is true or just used for a good example of what Christ is. It says, back when the Old West was being settled, pioneers flocked across the country to California, to Oregon, and points west. In one particular spot on the eastern slopes of the Rockies, there was a large dirt-covered rock protruding out of the middle of the trail. Wagon wheels were broken on it. Men tripped over it. Till finally one day, someone dug up the odd rock and rolled it off the trail. I think my, my thing working? That is. Rolled it off of the trail into a nearby stream. The stream was too wide to jump across, so people used that stone for a stepping stone. So they would step across the cold creek to the other side, so using the stone. And it was used for years until finally one settler built his cabin near the stream. So he moved the odd stone out of the stream and placed it into his cabin to serve as a doorstop. As years passed, railroads were built and towns sprang up, and the old settler's grandson, he moved back east to study geology. On a visit to his grandfather's cabin, the grand grandson happened to examine the old lump of stone and discovered within that lump of dirt and rock was the largest pure gold nugget ever discovered on the eastern slope of the Rockies. It had been there for three generations, 
people never recognized the value of it. To some, it was a stumbling stone to be removed. To others, it was a stepping stone. And to others, it was just a heavy rock. But only the grandson saw it for what it really was, a lump of pure gold. You know, it's the same way that many look at Jesus. To many, He is a stumbling stone, a stumbling block. They stumble over it. They struggle with who Jesus is. They don't really want to know Him or care to know Him. Some, some just stumble over Him. Some He is that stepping stone. But others, He's just that heavy rock. But to some, we see the precious value. The greatest value. More valuable than the, the, the most, all the gold in the world. He is precious and valuable. You know, whenever the temple was being built in Jerusalem, there was something that was very interesting about the building of the temple. In 1 Kings 6 and 7 we read, And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry, so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Think about that. Miles away in the quarry, they're shaping these stones. And having to move those 10, 20 ton rock or stone all the way to Jerusalem to build the temple. You know, we think things were crude back then and how did they do the things that they did? How did they build such magnificent structures? God gave them the wisdom to do that. I want to go off course just a moment. You know, you think in the old day, back in ancient times, you think of Jacob when he built an altar to the Lord. You think of Abraham, he set up an altar to the Lord. When they built the altars, they were to be with uncut stone. They were to gather stone just the way they found them, build that altar up to place their sacrifices on, to bow before, and they would offer it to God. Why was there not a tool to be used upon those stones? Because when we use a tool to fashion it, we, prof we, we, we def profane, defile God. Because we are shaping that stone, so we're going to be worshiping something that we have made with our own hands. But now the building of the temple was different. The stones had to be tried. They had to be true. They had to be perfect, as I was saying, so that the building could be square, that the walls could be pure, they could be true but it was to be done outside the camp, if you will, outside the city, away. That not, could you imagine building such a magnificent structure and not hearing the sound of a chisel the whole time it was being built? Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, the richest man who ever lived, knew that the sound of a hammer was not to be heard. Matthew Henry says that it was to be the temple of God the temple of the God of peace, and therefore no iron tool must be heard in it. Quietness and silence both become and befriend religious experiences. God's work should be done with as much care and little noise as may be. God's work should be done with as little noise as could be. So there should be respect, there should be reverence, in God's house, in God's temple, in God's place. 
You know, there are people today that do not like to hear that there is only one way to receive eternal life. They don't like to hear there's only one way to heaven. But my friends, there is only one way. Amen. Ephesians 2, 19-22 says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. My friends, you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Holy Spirit. My friends, Jesus is that chief cornerstone. He is that perfect stone. Absolutely perfect stone. There was no flaw, no blemish. You know, we've heard the lamb that was slain, that perfect lamb that was slain. He is that perfect stone that was laid for the building of the church. It is perfect. It is true in every way. But we are connected. We are connected to that chief cornerstone. When you <clears throat> begin the wall, you lay that first stone, and you lay the ones going this way, and you lay the ones going that way, but we are all, we must be connected to that chief cornerstone. If, we are, if you remove that chief cornerstone, we are nothing but a wall. We are nothing without that chief cornerstone. We must have... There was the belief that if you would take out the chief cornerstone, the whole structure would collapse. Well, my friends, if you remove Christ from the church, the church is going to collapse. Right. You can't remove Christ from the church or it will not last. It will not stand. It will not stand the test of time. In Matthew, 20, or Matthew 7, you, I didn't send this one to David, so it won't be up there. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. That rock is Jesus Christ. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. My friends, we have to build the church, build the house of God upon the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ. You know, I think of years that we've went to Nags Head, the beach, and you see all these, these beautiful homes that were built right out there close to the water. They're built in the sand, and the wind and the waves come in, and they wash a little bit of sand out, and then the next storm washes a little bit more, and next thing you know, those big, beautiful houses are leaning like this. And many of them were leaning way over because they were built on the sand, the shifting sand. Again, they weren't built on the solid rock. My friend, the church cannot build on sand. 
It must build on that solid rock that will not fail. There is only one way, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. He said in John 14.6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Except through Me. That chief cornerstone. There is no other way. He is that precious rock that God has given us to be the cornerstone and the capstone. Will you come to that cornerstone today? Will you build your life upon Him? Will you build the church upon Him? You know, as I was pondering this message this week, I thought of another interesting thing. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself in our journey through Luke. They crucified our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that they had the trial and, and they, they convicted Him. They said, give us Barabbas and crucify Him. They led Him out of the city, didn't they? They led Him out of Jerusalem, out of the city, out to a hill called Calvary. And there was a sound of a tool heard, my friends. There was a sound of a hammer. It wasn't striking a chisel, but it was striking the nails that was driven into His hands and feet. They drove the nails into the hands and feet of the chief cornerstone. Rejected. He was rejected by men. Not just the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, but rejected by the people. My friends, we cannot reject Him today. We cannot reject Him today. We, the world, must accept Him for who He is, the chief cornerstone, the way, the truth, and the life, if we expect to go to the Father. There is no other way. There is no other way. If there's a church that's preaching something other than Christ, some other way, run. Run from it. Turn it off. Don't believe it. Because Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone that the church, the body of God is built upon. You are that temple. My friends, you are that temple. You know, Jesus tells these parables, and He told that parable to reveal their wickedness. Friends, if Jesus was to tell a parable that would involve you, what would it reveal? What would it reveal? Would it reveal your faithfulness to Him, to the church, or would it reveal your wicked ways? I pray that if He told a parable that would involve us, that it would reveal our faithfulness our trustworthiness to Him. Put your faith, build your life upon that rock, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? The chief cornerstone.